place and comfortably. Um, the title of this talk today is Power and Awakening. Um, some months ago, I think uh, Coral gave me this book um, by Thich Nhat Hanh called The Art of Power. And uh, it's an interesting title and to link it in with our Taoist themes. It's a very Taoist title, as we'll see. Because people are intrigued by the art of power, like everyone would want to have power. So what's that? Mm -hmm. Uh Hmm. Um, At a workshop I gave recently to our um, Buddhism and Psychotherapy Conference on Buddhism and Couple Therapy, um, I had just received this book and I was so inspired by the the introduction to it and it 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 was such a good introduction to... Um, the workshop I was giving that I read it and I'd like to read it to you as well. It's just a brief few words um, as a way of getting into our Dharma talk today. What does power mean to us? Why are most people willing to do most anything to get it? Even if we're not aware of it, most of us seek to be in positions of power because we believe This will enable us to control our life situations. We believe power will get us what we most want, freedom and happiness. Our society is founded on a very limited definition of power, namely wealth, professional success, fame, physical strength, military might and political control. My dear friends, I suggest that there is another kind of power, a greater power, the power to be happy right in the present moment, free from addiction, fear, despair, discrimination, anger and ignorance. This power is the birthright of every human being, whether celebrated or unknown, rich or poor, strong or weak. Let's explore this extraordinary kind of power. All of us want to be powerful and successful, but if our drive to get and maintain power drains us and strains our relationships, we never truly enjoy our professional or material success, and it's simply not worth it. Living our life deeply and with happiness, having time to care for our loved ones, this is another kind of success, another kind of power, and it is much more important. There is only one kind of success that really matters, the success of transforming ourselves, transforming our afflictions, fear and anger. This is the kind of success, the kind of power that will benefit us and others without causing any damage. Wanting power Fame and wealth is not a bad thing, but we should know that we seek these things because we want to be happy. If you are rich and powerful but unhappy, what's the point in being rich and powerful? 
we can use the simple, concrete and effective practices offered in this book to cultivate real power, the freedom, security and happiness we all want right here, right now. This is for us, our families, our communities, our society and our planet. Mm -hmm. When we come to the word power, it usually has a lot of negative connotations to it and people shy away from wanting to own power or to be powerful because we often associate it with um, uh, subjugation of others, controlling others, arrogant, egotistical, mm -hmm, um, motivated by fear or, or using the, using the, um, the emotions of fear and anger to gain control. Mm -hmm. So it's got a bad name, power. Mm -hmm. um, and it reminds me of a counselling session I had with a woman um, many years ago who was also a psychologist and she came in to see me for um, uh, counselling to do with her relationship but by herself and became fairly clear in the, in, in the course of counselling that there was a quite a gross power imbalance in the relationship and how much she was dominated by her husband and controlled by him. And, um, during, and I was trying to help her to be more assertive in the relationship. And in the course of um, our discussions, I said to her once, power is not a dirty word. And um, she kept um, bringing it back and teasing me with this over and over again in sessions, you know. You said that power's not a dirty word, you know. But it's not. Power is not a dirty word. And it's not necessarily has to be associated with something which is um, um, malicious or, or self-serving. But many people um, shy away from it. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be seen to be arrogant, you know, or, or greedy or whatever, so they shy away from power. But as Thich Nhat Hanh is emphasising here, we, we all do want power in our own way. Mm -hmm. Only what kind of power? That is the question. But we all want power. Even when you reflect on it, even, even the process of um, sitting period after period, if you reflect on it, um, when you're being mindful, it feels powerful. Yeah? And when you're mindless, it feels kind of weak. Mm -hmm. right. And um, it's not the kind of power, and as you know from your own experience from doing that, being mindful is not the kind of power of, um, or I'm, I'm better at everyone else from, you know, in the way I'm doing this, or there's no comparing in it, or I've dominated, I've got the power over my body and I've dominated my mind and I've dominated my body and I've subjugated them to my will. That, that's not the nature of mindfulness because if you practice in that way it will continually defeat you. Mm -hmm. It's a much more subtle power than that, but it is a power. Mm -hmm. It's one of the one of the first that word comes to mind in terms of the first experience I had with Zen when I went to um, Japan. And I was taught to to sit in the heart. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, it, um, 
being a sort of um, insecure person I was at that time and indecisive and so on, just that grounding in the hara, I, I could tell immediately it turned something around and I felt a power from it. And it's a power that never, never kind of went away again in a sense. It's not power over others, it's just a kind of a, you know what it is, it's a kind of a groundedness in your own being. So, the power which is abusive power or, or abusive power is always merely associated with um, fear and anger and guilt. So it's, it's using those, those emotions to have an impact on other people where they'll be scared of you or guilty, or shamed, whatever, and then you manage the situation from there. But what if we turn it around? What if we looked at the power of compassion, do you know, and the power of patience, and the power of love, and the power of playfulness? Mm -hmm. um, they are powerful. And if we were able to own the fact that we like power, that it was that type of power, then it would do good in the world. It would do good for us and it would do good in the world. So one of the main things I'm trying to emphasise here is that um, as much as our practice is about um, uh, uh, dissolving egocentricity and so on, um, if the practice is working, um, Paradoxically, it makes you more confident. Mm -hmm. And confidence is a certain kind of power. If you cultivate true humility, you actually don't become weak. You, you develop a certain kind of confidence that comes from it. Because it's not, a, it's not an egocentric type of confidence. It's not, as I've spoken about in other... Um, Dharma talks, the word humility um, or being humble comes from the word humus, right? It means of the earth. So if you're down to earth, you can't fall anywhere, right? You're just on solid ground. And that's the kind of confidence that comes from humility. The kind of confidence that comes from building yourself up, do you know, and so on, um, is just very fragile. You know, it doesn't take much to, for it to be damaged. But someone who's grounded mm -hmm, and is not trying to be better than others or whatever and is really can be honest about their own shortcomings and mistakes, well, it's kind of truthful. So where there's truth, there's kind of power. Mm -hmm. um, so what I'm emphasising here is that why are we are looking at dissolving the ego structure, structures and the dominant emotions of fear and anger that sort of hold it up. They're all kind of like fear, anger, egocentricity, and, and that, that kind of power that comes out of that. It's kind of like a little gang, right, that gets together, kind of a little, little syndicate that gets together. And so this practice is about looking into the fear, looking into the anger that maintains that egocentricity so we can 
dissolve it. Mm-hmm. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh, let me go to the beginning of his book and the end of the book, near the end of the book too, and put this in perspective. And this chapter is called Sparking Collective Unwakening. Even if you cultivate the five powers of faith, diligence, mindfulness, concentration and insight, if you think you can cultivate them for yourself alone, your power will remain weak. The insight of interbeing teaches us that only when we acknowledge and awaken our collective consciousness can we harness the full strength of our collective power. There is individual consciousness and there is collective consciousness. So again, if, if, our, if our innate desire for power becomes just what's good for me, um, it, it's not very powerful, as Thich Nhat Hanh is saying. So in any context, whether it's in an intimate relationship or a family or a workplace issue, or it's something you know more of a political, national kind of issue, um, when we have that, um, we call it insight, I'm looking for another word, when we have that um, sense or feeling of interbeing, that we can't just separate ourselves out from everything that we're all interconnected, then the desire for power becomes not the desire of what's good for me, but what's good for everyone. Therefore it's transformed. And and that it then there's a kind of it leads to a kind of um, engagement in the world rather than just a withdrawing from the world. And you can you can apply this to to many different contexts. One of the principles of Taoism, and which I said Thich Nhat Hanh either either consciously or unconsciously is using in his book here, is one of the principles of Taoism is turning the negative into a positive. And you see that particularly, um, most obviously, in, in the martial arts. You know, someone comes forward to kind of hurt you or you know, do some kind of violence. And a skilled martial artist will not try and oppose that person like a boxer. They'll just use their energy to throw them over, you know, or get them to turn around their fist and hit themselves in the head rather than you. Mm-hmm. Until they get sick of it and stop. So it's very obvious, but that that judo kind of principle <coughs> of turning a negative into a positive can be used in so many ways in, in different aspects of our life. If you bring it to um, just to Dharma practice of sitting, like we're doing here, um, we we become we become aware of personality characteristics when, when we sit for long enough and we see patterns emerging. And, um, and we kind of look honestly into ourselves and see them, but instead of trying to oppose them, you know, and get rid of them or get rid of the egocentricity, we can turn that 
negative energy into a positive. We don't have to fight it. If we fight it, we'll just get messed up in a more of a war between ourselves, and it's not helpful. But say, if you if you're a um, if you notice in yourself that you're a stubborn kind of person, right, that you have those characteristics, well, you could use that instead of being stubborn in the sense of just being rigid, you know, either to get your own way or whatever it might be. There's a kind of value in stubbornness. You know, it's got got energy in it, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. So instead of going, oh, stubbornness is bad, you know, I have to get rid of that, it's like, okay, well, there's, there's energy in stubbornness, how could I turn the negative into the positive? Right, so you could use, you could use stubbornness to, to transform it into being determined, you know, like de being determined towards a healthy kind of goal, like putting it into practice, meditation practice, or... or um, studying for something, whatever, mm -hmm. can be turn, turned around. Mm -hmm. um, anger is another very powerful emotion. Why, why not, if it, the energy is there, why not use it? Mm -hmm. Transform it, turn, turn the negative into a positive rather than necessarily going, oh, anger's bad, got to get rid of my anger. And anger in, in many ways can be turned um, into a constructive force. So, so much we see it used to destroy um, and it can have been extremely um, destructive emotion. But it, it just takes a sort of a, a bit of a flip of an attitude, you know, tweaking the attitude and, and you've got the same energy but instead of using it to um, criticise other people or attack or whatever, use it as a determined way to meet a, you know, a political goal, for instance, is something you want to do, that you think is good for the environment or whatever. So you can just, you don't have to, you, don't, you can play judo with your own energy mm -hmm, to transform it. You know, someone who's preoccupied with detail and a bit obsessive, become an accountant. Mm -hmm. Always a way of, of working with the energy in a constructive way. But it's very true that if you try and if you try and oppose those energies that come up in you, it's not it's it's not very wise. It's not um, it's not skillful. So whenever those things arise in you, even if they're negative emotions that arise, notice them be present to them and see how, just see creatively how the energy can be transformed into, how can that be transformed into what's good for everyone rather than me? Like in a relationship, mm -hmm. you and your partner for instance, how, how can it be used in that way so that it becomes useful for everyone? Um, Negativity usually attracts more negativity, like people who have aggressive approaches to in business, for instance. You know, they're aggressive and they think that by being aggressive they'll, they'll get their own way and, and increase their profits, but all they do is just increase aggressiveness in other people and then you get a, a fight going on. And if you apply that same principle to, to relationships, 
and intimate relationships. See, you get common kind of issues that come up where people are fighting over the fair share of domestic chores, for instance. You know? Does it does it really does it really is it really constructive or is it really helpful to get angry at someone for doing that? Or does it just make them angry at you and you get into a battle over it? And if people do it, they do it resentfully. You know? It's not as though issues shouldn't be brought up. They need to be addressed. And I think Buddhist people generally need to have a view of Buddhism that it's not about conflict avoidance or withdrawing, but it's about knowing the power which is there and using it wisely rather than pretending that it's not. But there's many ways in which you can talk about sharing domestic chores without it necessarily having to be angry. And one of the craziest ones of all, which I, I see in couple therapy all the time, where um, one partner in a relationship wants to have more intimacy or more sexual intimacy than the other, and they get angry at their partner that it's not there. And is that going to attract them? <laughs> they're going to attract their partner to want to be intimate with them when they're being angry? I think it's crazy. Sure, the issues need to be addressed, um, but in a positive way. And as um, Benjamin Hoff mentions in his book, The Tao of Who, but I, I knew this from my own reading anyway, um, of examples of people who um, have turned a negative into a positive and used positive means to, to create wonderful outcomes. And one of those examples he, um, he has is Charles Dickens, who's a favourite author of mine. Um, in particular, the book Nicholas Nickleby. And um, Dickens became aware um, did some research before the book that there were these um, boarding schools in the north of England and um, wealthy or middle class people were, off, were sending off their children like boys who had disabilities and so on to these boarding schools really just to get rid of them, you know, um, and uh, out of sight, out of mind. And they were um, treated in appalling kind of ways by these boarding schools and headmasters who were just completely abusive and did it just for profit and had no compassion towards the children that they were, were in their care. And so Charles Dickens travelled up there and became aware and did a bit of research. And then he wrote his book, Nicholas Nickleby. So what he did is that he entertained people with a story. Mm -hmm. And people really enjoyed the story and got a lot of the story. And a result of that, of, um, as a result of that publicity that came out of that, it moved people to close down those boarding schools. And they stopped. There was legislation passed to stop it. So it's an example. Instead of, he, he did a lot more. When, when you look at the practical outcome of those kind of things, he, he did more good work than a lot of angry socialists. Mm -hmm. He used his skill and his talent in a positive kind of way, in a transformative kind of way to get a positive result. And another example um, is Gandhi, you know, with his 
um, non-violent approach to gaining independence for India. He, he was a political person. He was a powerful person. You know, he didn't shrink from the conflict, but his his motivation was was driven by compassion and love, and and independence for Indian people, so they had their own dignity, you know, and their own pride. So it can be done. It can be done. Um, years ago, when I was in my twenties. I had a girlfriend whose father had been um, the foreign minister of Australia in his career and he'd met a lot of different powerful people like all the world figures as you would as foreign ministers you know, in America and England and so on. So he'd met a lot of very, very powerful people and he was a very, he had a very powerful presence himself as you would imagine for someone who was so high up in politics. Um, but my and my girlfriend was also a Tibetan Buddhist practitioner, and her teacher was Lama Yeshi, who was a very very well known teacher back in the seventies, um, eighties in Australia. And so she she um, introduced um, Lama Yeshi to her father, you know, and they had a cup of tea together. And um, my girlfriend's father said after the meeting. That's the most powerful man I've ever met in my life. The most powerful man I've ever met in my life. And he wasn't the kind of man to say things for the sake of saying them. You know, he would speak his mind. But I guess what he saw in Lama Yeshi was, and Lama Yeshi was known as this kind of crazy, bubbling, joyful, you know, spontaneous, kind of person with a lot of very playful energy about him and um, no fear, mm-hmm. no fear. But coming back to fear and anger and, and how we work with it in our daily lives and in relationships and so on is that um, if it's there, we need to acknowledge it to ourselves and we need to acknowledge it to others if, it, if it's present as an energy. And one is, one, one, what is one of the most um, effective responses, like in, in interpersonal conflict, like in intimate relationships, instead of getting caught up in anger and right and wrong, for someone to... Sh- express their fear to their partner in the midst of a conflict is one of the most powerful things that people can do to actually have the power to go to that place of vulnerability and express it. And it kind of, it often, in most cases, it diffuses the situation so so rapidly. And so it's not as though we deny those feelings, but even that can be turned into something useful. As soon as we show vulnerability, rather than trying to project this um, me, me, me power, things turn around. Um, That's the whole approach people often use in, in couple therapy, for example, just trying to get people to be um, vulnerable in front of one another 
rather than protective and, and defensive with all the fear and anger that comes out of that. As soon as people start to become vulnerable with one another, um, things dissolve, you know, um, connection happens, um, arguments stop, and love comes forward in some kind of way. Because to show love is to show vulnerability too. So, in summary, we think of vulnerability and power as two different things. But when we work with the Tao, of in, in, in the energy of these things in a Taoist kind of way, we actually see that vulnerability is power. There's a certain kind of power in it. Okay, thank you.